Welcome to the Humanity Leadership Podcast. My name is David Wheatley, and we talk to leadership thought leaders and draw out practical actions that you can apply to your leadership today. Well, my guest this week is uh, Dr. Priscilla Archangel, who uh, has just written a book, Leader Vantage, Seven Essential Steps to Peak Leadership. And she and I talk about uh, some of the elements of that book, break it down into some of the somewhere around 50 practical pieces that are in here. And, and we talk through a few of them. So the book Lead Advantage is available at Amazon. We'll talk about it a bit more in the episode and then I'll catch you up at the end. Here's Priscilla. So welcome, Priscilla. Welcome back. Thank you so much, David. It's a pleasure to be back with you. And I thoroughly enjoyed talking with you last time about uh, race and some of the work that you've been doing around bringing EDI, DEI into business mm-hmm. businesses. And uh, and you and I are uh, sort of working on a, a similar business together on that. And it's been fun sure. to hear that story. But uh, I did say I was gonna have, would, would have you back when you had your new book out. Um, yes. And if I look over your shoulder, I can see it there. And, it is right there. And I have a, an early copy of it that I'm proud to say I've got here. So Wonderful. Lead advantage. And, and so, David, I want you to know that you received, you were one of the first recipients of a copy. The day that I happened to see you face to face and we were all masked up and I brought three copies one for you in the room, and that was the first delivery. So you should well, I'm, I'm even doubly honored, triply honored <laughs> than that. So, and I appreciate that, and I appreciate the chance to have a, a look through it. So, lead advantage. Tell us, give me an outline as to what we've got here. Sure. So, the the, the basic premise of the book is uh, to take advantage of learnings as a leader to be your best leader, and the book is filled with uh, really. 50 leadership insights that will provide an advantage to you in your leadership. Now, um, I've talked with some people, and in fact, I think you and I were joking around a little bit. You know, it's like some people are saying, oh, I can't wait to get home and start reading it, reading it. And I really advise everyone to read one chapter at a time or one leadership insight at a time. Each one is only about three or four pages, but the goal is that from reading it, it will really make you stop and think and you know, focus on maybe some action you would take, uh, what your next steps would be. So it's really not uh, a book to be read kind of as a marathon. It's more of a, a, a slow, gentle read and just absorb it bit by bit. I love that. And that kind of book that you can read in a small sitting or I can just have a couple of things that make me think. And Mm-hmm. Um, I often find that with Brene Brown's books that uh, yes. I, I read a piece and then I can't read anymore because I'm just clogged up with thinking about the piece I just read. And so you That's have to right. stop for a while while you digest it. And mm-hmm. I also love the, the way you framed it. Isn't it. Here's a little story and here's some bullet points and here's, here's some actions. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you've got 50 things and, and there's a lot of good books out there with 50 things in them. Uh, to, <laughs> uh, two I can think of now in particular. Uh, uh, and while we're on that subject, we wrote a book called 50 Do's for Everyday Leadership. And one of the things Great. we found was 50 is too many, too big a number for people. Okay. And so what we did, and you might recognize it, is broke it down into seven groups mm-hmm. and then exactly. said, let's focus in on one thing at mm-hmm. a time because you're probably mm-hmm. doing a lot of it. It seems mm-hmm. like there's a, a lot of commonality there. That's right. That's right. So. I really uh, wrote this book over a period of probably five or six years. 
And what I do is I just kind of write a leadership inside a month. And after a while I had collected so many, it was, what do I do with it? Oh, it's a book. <laughs> and, and as I really read back through it, I saw those seven things that you were talking about. Um, it, all, all, of the, all of the insights as I, as I began to categorize them, they fit neatly into these seven themes. themes. Leadership purpose, leadership perspective, leadership values, leadership traits, leadership behaviors, leadership tools, and leadership ideas. So that's how they're categorized. That's good. And so, and you talk about this idea of a journey as well and, and climbing the mountain, the leader, mm -hmm. the advantage the leader gets. But let's start with that leadership purpose because I think you said some interesting things that you really took the reader back to childhood. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I think is really important as a leader, first of all, is um, why do you want to lead? What's your purpose for leading? What are you really trying to accomplish? And how does it, how do you make sure that it is aligning with your purpose in life? Okay. And one of my examples is, and I heard this on the radio some years ago, um, what were you doing as a teenager? And uh, when you think of those things that somehow you were naturally good at as a teenager, those things tend to be the things that you carry forward in life and form part of your purpose. And I thought it sounded crazy because, I mean, who among us as a teenager knows the heck what we're doing, okay? But then I thought about it a little deeper. And there are four things I did as a teenager. One is, when I was about 14, I rewrote two books of the Bible, First uh, and Second Corinthians, in my own words. Now, nobody asked me to do it. Nobody told me to do it. I didn't do anything with it after I finished writing it. It was just... Somehow the exercise of it, it made, it helped it make sense to me, okay? And today I write, all right? Now, so, for, you know, for a couple of decades in there, I wasn't into writing other than for school or work, but then I picked up writing and just began to love the joy of reframing information in ways that I thought were um, good bite-sized digestible uh, pieces of information for people. The second thing I did was, when I was 17, I was in the Junior Miss Michigan pageant. Ooh. Okay. Ooh. And, and I had to do this talent thing. And I don't sing, dance, or play an instrument well enough. You know, think of the pageants you see on TV. So I did a dramatic reading. And lo and behold, some years later, now I'm a speaker. Think of standing on stage, um, uh, compelling people to go on a journey with you as you tell a story. The third thing I did was I thought I wanted to be a therapist when I was a freshman in college, majored in psychology. Found out that uh, I was not gifted enough to deal with the types of challenges people went to therapy for. But hey, I ended up in HR, <laughs> which quite frankly, not, you know, the issues are not as serious, but it is still coaching people, consulting with people on a variety of challenges in their work life, okay? And then the fourth thing I did was I was the kind of business manager for a singing group in college. And uh, I liked the organization and the process of it. And I carried that forward in, in my life just in terms of seeing things from a process focus. Mm -hmm. So I challenged the reader really to think about what they were doing in their teen years and, and how does that connect with some passions that they have today that they have to live out. Which really is digging into your passion and yes. and your like you said your um, your blessings if you like the the strength the skills the mm -hmm. uh, that you naturally have and That's that you right. naturally led towards because you're surrounded obviously by some people who 
who were able to guide you or or give you the yes. freedom in that right direction. And so yes. you, you've got this purpose, which then turned into a, a leadership journey, a leadership mm-hmm. development journey. Mm-hmm. And you know, my daughter used to tell people when, when she was asked what I did for a living, that I was a business therapist. So it gets, <laughs> to, I thought That's that was a good. smart way of answering it. Yeah. <laughs> That's, and, you know, some people can frame that in their minds a lot better than maybe consulting. Yeah. But, you know, business leaders need someone to help them on their journey and help them to frame their thinking and uh, focus on where they're going and what their priorities are. Absolutely. I like that. A business yeah. therapist. Yeah, I don't I don't use it, but it was always kind of fun when she said that. So the this leadership purpose is the first of these seven. Yes. Then we move into the idea of perspective. Then we move into the whole idea of leadership perspective. And so that's kind of the viewpoint that helps leaders uh, guide leaders' decision, okay? Um, so, for instance, let's see. Here's um, uh, one, of, one of my leadership insights on, along the uh, terms of perspectives, and that's how you manage risk and look at priorities versus decisions, okay? And, and I talk a little bit about just some of the typical risk we face uh, and the priorities we face in the business world, okay? And how do you really focus on the decisions that you make as a result of it. Because we, we look at things like, you know, what jobs do we take on? You know, how do you, how do you align yourself with the right people politically in the organization? You know how dangerous that is, okay? You know, what's your personal brand? Um, how do you develop a summary recommendation on a project? And, you know, if you have a friend, a colleague at work who's going through some challenging political times, you know, how do you support that person versus being seen as like that person? So the bottom line is managing risk by identifying your priorities and values, first of all, because all of that really starts internally, okay? You know, what is, what values do you guide your life by? What's most important to you, all right? When you think about that, that first, you can't make a wrong decision, okay? How do you properly recognize where risk exists in the organization? And a lot of that is being um, politically savvy or having good, what I'll call organizational agility. How do you anticipate the probabilities? How do you identify mitigating responses? Now, it's, and it's not that you can ever be perfect in all of this, but it's optimize everything that you possibly can. Because right. when you're growing in an organization, you're really navigating some perilous pathways at times. And so this is just your best skills to do that. This is really about getting uh, the clearest view from your lenses that you can, yes, but, which right. is uh, which is why I like the tighter perspective, isn't it? Is, is my mm-hmm. perspective accurate, valid? Yeah. Do I have good data? I'm aware in the right glasses, mm-hmm. so that I can so I can see it well and I can read it, and and that's something that we we can have some uh, talent in, but then we also develop over time to get an even better perspective, a sharper perspective, if you like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. So then from perspective, you go to values. I go to values. That's right. So those are the principles and standards that support constructive leadership. So one, one value I'll talk about is I call it fear at work. Okay. And the problem that fear in the workplace evidences. So the story I tell is of uh, Lucas, a new CEO who you know goes from an organization that has a very, I'll call it a low level of fear and a high level of trust 
he takes on a new assignment and he goes into an organization where fear is just rampant because of the how the prior leader led and all like that. And the point is people are not sharing information. Um, people are not collaborating with one another. They're not trusting one another uh, to move forward in certain ways. And, and it's becoming paralyzing and it's beginning to hinder the progress. And so sometimes you can hide that for a little while, but you can't hide it for long. And so Lucas, uh, as the story goes, is uh, dealing with how to change the climate. And so I talk about how he can um, identify predictability uh, in the organization, how he can drive predictability, because a lot of what we fear is what we can't predict. We right. want our leaders to be predictable. We really do. Predictability is not boring. It is wonderful because we want to anticipate how people will behave. We want people to take responsibility for their actions, for their projects. We want them to be accountable. We want them to be genuine and authentic in their communications. Okay. So, you know, I can trust you. I know where you're coming from. You're not hiding something from me. Um, we want to identify clear boundaries of behaviors, what's acceptable, what's not, and know that when someone moves outside of those lines of acceptability, it's going to be addressed. Then there's the media. And, you know, a lot of a lot of times things happen in organizations and media will get a hold of it and twist it around or misinform people sometimes in some ways. And, and we feel constrained to be able to control that, okay? But still, I talk a little bit about how we can manage that as best as possible and then in grow, invest in the growth of our employees. So it's, a, it's an approach on addressing fear at work. So, I mean, that's just within the fear aspect of it that um mm -hmm. and you know I, I like the way you framed it in that uh fear is a matter of the unpredictable mm -hmm. and and yet uh, one of the elements is the idea of taking ownership and and there's a right. tension between uh i want you to take ownership but i also know this is unpredictable so you might make a mistake mm -hmm. which then gets mm -hmm. to creating a culture that allows people to screw up and fix it that's right uh, making a mistake is not bad. So think of, you know, Thomas Edison, as the story goes, I think he had 9,999 attempts to make a light bulb until, you know, number 10,000 worked, okay? Yeah. But if you think of those 9,999 as failures, or you think of it as being able to rule out, okay, this doesn't work, that doesn't work. I'm keep, you know, I'm still keeping the focus ahead because I know uh, that there is value in what I'm doing someday. And and we're going to materialize a good result. Yep. So failure is, failure is fine. Failure is acceptable. Okay. So it's building that into the culture. And so let's dig into that a little bit because the, and a lot of the environments I work at, they say that, mm -hmm. but then, um, you know, if, if I have a direct report who I'm giving ownership to and they mess up, mm -hmm. then I have to own that as well. Yep. And so then it, you see them saying that kind of thing, but not necessarily following through in the way that builds that mm -hmm. culture. Mm -hmm. So one of the most important things in kind of everything I talk with leaders about is the leader leadership behavior models the way for everyone. So leaders can say whatever they want. I mean, you know, think of the companies that you've been to, David, and you walk in the door and you see the values on the wall, okay? We believe in <laughs> Dusty values. Oh, dusty. Absolutely. Yeah. People don't even pay attention to that. They pay attention to 
what is the leader doing, okay? So if the leader makes a mistake, owns it, gets up in front of the employee population and tells them what the mistake is and what he or she learned from it, that's what's value added. Then people begin to see, oh, it's okay as long as I'm learning, as long as I'm contributing, as long as, you know, I'm not making too many, okay? But, but it's that leadership behavior that cements with the employees what is okay to do versus not. Right. So you can say anything you want, but it's what you do. I, I always tell people, I think culture is a direct reflection of leadership behavior. It is. And, and so you can't change culture. You change leadership behavior and then culture is the result that adapts mm-hmm. after the back of That's the right. That's But right. you, you took a leap there into leadership behaviors and you skipped by leadership traits. Oh, I did skip, skip by leadership traits. So leadership traits are... And I'm flipping in. I'm flipping in my book because there's just so much here. It's the distinguishing characteristics of successful leaders. Okay, um, so what's um, one of the biggest ones in there that you see that, that yeah. stands out for you? Yeah. So one is uh, your personal brand. So think of again the leadership trait as your personal brand. Now, my favorite definition of your personal brand is from uh, Jeff Bezos at Amazon. It's what people are saying about you when you're not in the room. <laughs> pure and simple, okay? How would you describe Priscilla when she's not in the room? That's my brand. I may or may not like it, but that's my brand, okay? But my point is, think about how to maximize your brand, okay? So part of it is your leadership presence, how you show up in the room, okay? Um, and it's and that's uh, how you carry yourself. Um, it's your composure, it's your demeanor, it's your body language, okay? But there is a presence that all of us have. It's, it incorporates our purpose, okay? Because people know when I do certain things, that's part of my leadership purpose because I do it well, all right? I do it um, with a certain style. I do it with a certain focus, okay? So that helps to create my brand. It's all about my leadership strengths. So that is anything from, uh, think about uh, if I took an assessment like a Myers-Briggs or a DISC mm-hmm. or a Clifton Strength Finders, okay? As well as, of the specific work that I do and how I shine with it, okay? It's about how I learn and adapt to a variety of uh, leadership styles based upon different situations. And it's also about my personality as a leader, okay? My unique pattern of interacting with others. And once you are able to identify your brand as a leader, then you gotta market that brand, okay? You know, some people use social media, Um, But a lot of times in the organization you're working in, it's just who you're interacting with on a regular face-to-face basis, but you got to market yourself. Um, One of the other favorite things I like to tell people is you have to learn to dance. Now, what does that mean? I, I look at it as we do a lot of planning in our roles as leaders, but then there's always the unknown that we can't control for. So we've got to plan really well, but then dance, which means adapt to whatever changes coming are coming along. So if the music shifts to a different beat and a, you know you need a different style of dancing, you got to be willing to dance and move around with that. So those are just a couple of insights there. I like that connection. I spoke a couple of weeks ago to Shauna Fabiano, who does our kind of work too, but also teaches the tango. Oh, um, that's she wonderful. She has a, a book out at the moment that looks at the lessons we can learn about leadership from the tango. And That's the idea great. of being the, the flow of leader and follower. 
and That's great. they have to work in harmony. So I, I love that connection back as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you've got these these traits, you've got the behaviors that you already talked to, and then mm-hmm. the last two are, are tools and ideas. What's, your, what's yes. your favorite kind of go-to leadership tool that you're sharing with people at the moment? Yeah. So um, one, one of my favorites is around facilitation strategies for leaders, okay? Um, sometimes leaders just, you know, say, oh, I got to make a presentation. Let me just kind of rush in there and, and get it done, all right? But you need to plan the environment, okay? Um, here's an example. I am uh, not too long ago, well, before this pandemic, of course, but I facilitated a, a leadership meeting on the 27th floor of a building and there was floor to ceiling glass. So you could see for miles, okay? So think of conducting a visioning session in a room where you can see for miles around you versus a visioning session in a room with all walls, no windows, and you can't see beyond the four walls, okay? There's something about just the difference of those two environments that is huge in terms of getting the group to think beyond what what is currently in front of them to what future possibilities are, okay? So plan the environment. Build that's that's quite a contrast to the last two groups that you and I have worked with together. Yeah, uh, you're right. Who have been in the best room possible at the time, <laughs> but not ideal. Not ideal. And quite frankly, we were all in masks to be, you know, compliant with the, with the environment that we're in, at least for the moment. And it was good to actually see one another and be around one another. But... You know, when we, when, we, when we can't see the full face, you know, of course, I've learned to read smiley eyes now, but when we can't see the full face, it, it does hamper, okay? So, yeah, it is quite a contrast, and so we hope we get back to normal. Yeah, and even then, we found ourselves, and, and you came into the, the group a little later on, we found ourselves being masked up unless you were talking. Because yes. you don't realize how many cues you take from people's lips yes. When, yes. They're, when they're talking. So. That's right, that's right, that's right. So another tip there is building rapport with the participants. So you, you know, if, if at all possible, you never go into a meeting without knowing who's in the room, without having done some work in advance to um, help them understand what you're talking about or why, or know what their needs are, okay? Um, even choosing your battles. If you're pitching an idea, you're not maybe gonna get every part of it, but you gotta figure out what's the most important part to you, all right? So choose those battles. You know, deflect an argument. If someone wants to, you know, challenge you right there, is it is that the value added best time versus can you deflect it? You know, have it uh, have that discussion later on afterwards. But you don't need to be in that position in front. Okay, um, being genuine and authentic. Okay, and so you and I, because we've you know been in a lot of settings, we can tell when a presenter is being themselves and being true to themselves versus when they're very stiff, very nervous. Um, You know, it's important to be relaxed. You know, uh, as participants, we learn more. We feel better about the person presenting. We have a higher level of trust in what they're saying when they are genuine and authentic. And then, you know, sometimes it's a matter of depending upon the length of your presentation or whatever else is going on, you may need to re-engage people, okay? Um, if you're, if you're standing in one spot, just, you know, kind of talking in a monotone voice, you're going to lose people. So how do you move around the room? How do you, uh, draw people in, uh, by speaking to them specifically speaking to an issue that they have 
to draw them into the discussion. So all those things are important. Especially when you're, you're allowed to do something other than sit down with a mask on at the front of That's the room, right. six feet That's away right. from everybody else. So, I, and I like the way you frame that up in terms of this isn't something that you're going to pick up and read from front to back and, and be engrossed mm -hmm. in, in, in a Tom Clancy novel type of way. It's yep. something you're going to read, you're going to digest, you're going to take something from. And you, know, you and I both have a row of books behind us and we both go mm -hmm. into offices that have rows of books. Uh, I always see there's, there's two kind of rows. There's that row of books that people have been given that you could sell back to the store as untouched. And mm -hmm. then there's a row of books that they go to on a regular basis. And I kind of hope our 50 do's is one of those that just, it's a reference. And this is kind of like it, yep. that um, you're going to have somebody come in looking for some help and you're going to remember something it's That's easy, right. easy to find, throw it on the photocopier, give them a copy of it, yep. whatever yep. it may be. Um, yep. So this right. is going to be the dog-eared tab. It's going to have lots of things on it. Like I That's have good. kind of book that people use again and again. Was that the intent? Yes, it is, because it's just, again, I, I, I like to think that it's filled with, you know, just a gold mine of information and um, that people can refer back to it time and time again. Absolutely. So then the last thing, yeah. where, can we get, where can we get it? So it's available on Amazon. All right. Very simple. Just go to Amazon Leader Vantage and you'll find it and uh, enjoy, please. Leader Vantage, Priscilla Archangel, Dr. Priscilla Archangel. I missed up and out at my peril, but uh, thank you very much for joining us this afternoon. Thank you so much for having me, David. So that was Dr. Priscilla Archangel. I thoroughly enjoyed talking with her and actually get to do a little bit of work alongside her as well, which is kind of fun. The book, Lead Advantage. She has a couple of other books as well that are all available from Amazon. I encourage you to go out and check her out and check out what she's uh, writing and, uh, and appreciated her being here. That was the Humanity Leadership Podcast, and my name is David Wheatley. Thank you for listening. Today's episode is brought to you by the book, What Great Teams Do Great, available at all good bookstores and Amazon as well. And uh, if you are interested in what great teams do great and how that plays into the virtual world, you send me a note, david at humanity.com, and I will send you our 10th chapter of our eight-chapter book, which is all about virtual teams and how virtual teams can be great too. Thanks for listening. Like and subscribe. Stay healthy.